same room. We're podcasting from the same room. We're breathing the same air. I know. I hope it's not Delta variant. I know. Air. I know. We're both we're both fully vaccinated. We should be okay, right? We're good. And I touched your book, so we've exchanged germs, and everything is good. <laughs> we've exchanged book germs. We've, Those are the germiest germs. <laughs> and Lauren gave me some mochi donuts, and it was <laughs> the best. Oh, hey, welcome to Required Recast. Yes, we're here. I'm Lauren Ballman. I'm Jessica Austin in Lauren Ballman's new living space. Ooh, hey, I have an office now, an office for recording things. She's so fancy. Yeah. Uh, you know, we did our last episode months ago, and we're catching back up. Both of us got new jobs. <laughs> I truly don't even remember when that was. It was a really long time it ago. It was a really long time ago, and I feel like the past six months have kind of blurred into one long, weird month. And uh, here we are, talking <laughs> well, about a real bummer of a fishing story. Oh my god. Um, yeah, but hey, are, were you reading anything else that's less of a bummer right now? You know what? I am. I have actually dived, dived <laughs> deep. I didn't even to say dived. I, I was like, go I on. I immediately am already like presenting terrible grammar. I have, I have. Dove? No, I dove into. Yeah, yeah that's right. Dove. I dove into. <laughs> Like President Obama. I'm reading his newest, uh, The Promised Land, and it's actually, I knew he was a good writer, um, but I was, you know, it's like a 750-page book, so I was a little nervous to take it on, and he actually, he's he's so great, it, it flies, it, it goes really fast, because he's such an engaging and uh, interesting writer, I'm really enjoying it. That's cool. I bought the uh, audiobook uh, from Audible, um, but I because I wanted to hear Obama reading it. Oh, so it's, <laughs> is it eighty hours long? Yes. <laughs> um, I haven't even started because I also got Michelle Obama's book on Audible. Oh, haven't finished that one yet either. So. Sounds great. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I'm so that's the other thing I'm reading. How about you? Um, I, speaking of like long th long time and all these things blurring together, I've binged hard. On Agatha Christie, I don't know why I'm going through a phase again. I yep. I love me some Agatha Christie, but I have been like binging Miss Marvel audiobooks. So I I listen to them, and at this point, like everybody's kind of starting to smush together. Where I'm like, wait a second, is she from the previous book? Who is it? The sister? Is it ah? How many um, are there? Uh, like a lot, a lot of them. Wow. Um, so I've been binging Agatha Christie, but my favorite thing is. There's a there's the the woman who narrates a lot of them. Amelia Fox is great, except you start to notice a few sounds she doesn't make right when she's doing her American accent. So I'm 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 a little bit like ha ha ha. You linked your R sounds when you were doing a name that begins with an a, ends with an A. So I got I get um, extreme pleasure from picking apart a dialect. But she's wonderful. I just like that I'm like, oh, that sound. You said bean instead of Ben. You're, you're British, not American. It was funny you say that because last night I was watching the um, like behind-the-scenes special on how they made Loki on Disney+. And I had no idea. They, a lot of those cast members do really strong American accents because I had no idea how many of them are British. That's cool. No Until spoilers. I watched it. I have like three episodes left. I haven't oh, okay. finished it. I won't spoil Loki. Okay. That doesn't spoil it for okay. me. Hey, spoiler alert, some of the actors are British. No! Fuck you! <laughs> Superhero actors are British? Um, so weird. Well, today's author is not British, but um, he's literally well-respected and fancy-seeming and spent a lot of time in the enemy of Britain, which is France. Yeah, um, he's also not Cuban, but decided to write from the perspective of one. 
Um, and, and he's not a, whatever. He's not a coffee drinker. He's an alcohol drinker. But he wrote about a character who drank a lot of coffee. Um, <laughs> today we're talking about Ernest Hemingway's very short novel, emphasis on the short, The Old Man in the Sea. We'll let you decide whether or not we chose it because it was so short or not. <laughs> we wanted to do a podcast, but we didn't want to give you guys another short story or play. We're like, we need to read an actual book. Yeah. Um, but then we went, oh, the audiobook's only like two and a half, half hours long. That's super doable. I can deal with Donald Sutherland telling me <laughs> sea stories for two and a half hours. Yeah, by the way, listen to President Snow read this book. It's a trip. Mm-hmm. Although I feel like if this if they produced an audiobook version of this now, I don't know when they did the Donald Sutherland one, but I feel like they would probably have a, a, maybe a Cuban actor or a Spanish it actor. It might be a good idea. His accent was slightly questionable. He didn't try to be too serious with it, though, so that was good. Yeah, he just was pretty like flat and straightforward reading. Um, so, but yeah, nice. I mean, I, I guess I would say like it's it's pretty easy to sum up this book, uh, <laughs> and even an official summary doesn't take too long. Well, I think the title pretty much does the summary. It's there's an, an old, old man, and there's the sea. The exactly. End. Write your paper. Um, but it's been 84 days since he caught a fish. Uh, he does have a name. His name is Santiago. And um, so he's going out on a journey on his 85th day um, where he encounters a marlin that he then has a long struggle with, eventually kills, but then the sharks get it. And he tries to bring it back. Yeah. Um, and he comes back with a skeleton and a fish head. And then I think we're supposed to all learn some moral about how you should work hard anyway, but I mainly just felt a little depressed. I, I hated this book when I read it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad book, because it's not a bad book. It's a beautifully written book, and I love the character of Santiago, and I love the way Hemingway writes, but I I threw this fucking, this is a book, this is a thrower. Yeah, um, yeah, I got pretty, I got pretty mad in the latter half of it, um, because I truly, I hadn't, I hadn't ever read this one, and it somehow wasn't spoiled for me. <gasps> I didn't know what the ending was going to be. You didn't, oh no. Okay, okay, we're going to talk about that when we yeah, get to the plot. Yeah, so I really, it was very upsetting that I'm like, these fucking sharks taking his fish. Fucking sharks. It is upsetting. It is an upsetting book. Yeah. It upset teenage Jessica, and adult Jessica did not get any less upset. It, it makes the young boy in the book cry a lot, and, you know, that made me kind of mm-hmm. want to cry. But, so I guess that's sort of an official summary. <laughs> it made Lauren want to cry. Big, big bummer. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know what? That's my tweet like summary. The old man and the big, big bummer. <laughs> my tweet like summary is he's gonna need a bigger boat. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Because if anybody read this in high school lit, you know that the marlin he gets is bigger than his fucking boat, which is part of the problem. It ends up being 18 feet long. 18 feet long. You can't. You, what old man can lift an 18-foot-long fish into a boat by itself and keep that fish in the boat? Not Santiago. He tried his best, but it's too big of a fish. Oh, um, such a drag. So sad. Well, uh, this book was written by Ernest Hemingway. Um, heard of him? Yeah. Hey, and you know what? Maybe the reason it's kind of a bummer is because he wrote it so late in his life. Um, this was the last book that was published before his death, and... He died at the age of 61 by suicide, so clearly he he might not have been in the best mental headspace near the end of his life, I'm thinking. Yeah, he was kind of sad. Um, 
you know, Hemingway is part of the lost generation, and we haven't talked a whole lot about those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked a little, you know, a little bit about Fitzgerald. Yeah, you know, Hemingway hung out with Fitzgerald, Gertrude Stein, um, but Ezra Pound, who I'm like, I know the name Ezra Pound, and I should be able to tell you something that Ezra Pound has written, but I'm just picturing Ezra Miller, and that's not who we're talking <laughs> about at all. Um, Who's Ezra Pound? Ezra Pound. I know, that name, I'm going to look it up, and then I'm going to be really upset with myself. Yeah, then I'll be like, oh, I read him. I'm a liar. Ezra Pound wrote an 800-page epic poem called The Cantos. I think, I'm feeling like Ezra Pound was a much bigger deal when he was alive than uh, post-mortem. Yeah, and big poet. Big poet. Yeah, they, um, they, because Hemingway met Ezra Pound at Shakespeare and Company in Paris, where I've been, by the way. I bought a tote bag. Just going to brag for a second. Mm-hmm. Humble brag. But there's a little um, sitting area upstairs where oh, Hemingway cool. wrote. Like, Ooh. there are all these little writer nooks. I'll show you a picture. It's really cool. I do love that. Um, but he met Ezra Pound there, and he had a reputation for being able to raise up young authors. So apparently Ezra Pound was the shit and had, could make your career if you knew him. Um, but now Lauren and I have no idea who he actually is and no Hemingway and the people that Ezra Pound lifted. So Ezra Pound kind of like was a humanitarian. He took people and put them above himself and then disappeared into history. Thanks, Ezra Pound. And unfortunately for him, he wrote poetry instead of novels. Mm-hmm. So now we don't know him as well. The only poet people like anymore is Rumi. <laughs> If I learned anything from memes, it's Rumi poems. The most popular poet in the world. Rumi. Rumi. Oh, boy. Um, all the other poets roll over in their graves. You know, it's not good for Hemingway, though, is that he buddied up with James Joyce, and they often went on alcoholic sprees. Ooh, boy. Um, those, those must have been uh, some interesting nights. Yeah. I think they hung out with T.S. Eliot, too. So <laughs> He's just... They're like, T.S., stop writing about cats! I'm gonna repeat a rumor that I know is not true but I feel like didn't they all like do absinthe and that messed up with T.S. Eliot's thoughts about cats oh man please tell me please tell me that the cats the poems about the jellical cats are a result <laughs> of them of T.S. Eliot doing acid with Hemingway and James oh, Joyce Jesus. I said absinthe but acid just makes it so oh, yeah. much better no absinthe would make more sense but it's acid now. Maybe it's, it's acidy absinthe. Mm-hmm. Yep, they did acid and absinthe, and that's where the poems about cats come from. <laughs> um, but did we already say he had four wives? He had four wives. Yeah. As you can tell, probably based on his favorite activities, his life was rather tumultuous. He drank and got married, and drank <laughs> and got married. Um, and, and then he, he ended up in Key West, Florida. So, I mean, you know, that's... If that's your ending place, you know. Mm-hmm. Florida man. Party time. Florida Drinks man. a lot and writes books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he did live in Cuba for a while. Okay, that explains a little bit. Yeah, and that he was based Santiago on, on a guy there named Diego. And he almost died in 1954 after plane crashes. Multiple cl- plane crashes on successive days. I'm sorry, go on. Yes. <laughs> And the injuries were so bad that he was in pain and ill health for the rest of his life, and they think that's part of the reason why he eventually committed suicide was it was too much. But that was two years, those plane crashes were two years after The Old Man in the Sea was published. And The Old Man in the Sea was the last book that he wrote, and that was published during his lifetime, Correct. the last novel. And, um, yes, yes. And he did win the Nobel Prize 
1954 for literature, and they cite The Old Man and the Sea as one yeah. of the contributing factors for why he won the Nobel Prize. Yeah. And the book won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1953, um, so it was critically acclaimed and then assigned in high schools for the rest of time. Exactly. Although it's funny, I didn't have to read this one in high school. I had to read Farewell to the Farewell to Arms. Mm-hmm. Farewell to Arms. The Farewell to Arms. Farewell to Arms. Probably you know that one. I feel um, like... I clearly remember it very well. Um, but that was the only Hemingway I had to read in high school. Did you have to read any? I had to read this. Oh, okay. And at some point, I was assigned The Sun Also Rises because mm. I have a copy of it in a box under my bed, <laughs> along with my husband's identical copy of it. <laughs> That he tried to get rid of one of those recently, and I was like, no, we're keeping both of these. Uh-huh. One is mine and one is yours. What if we want to read it at the same time? Well, it's funny. It was good fortune for me because my husband had this copy of The Old Man in the Sea, and I never knew he had it. And then uh, when, during our move recently, I was like, oh, I need that. Thank you. Yoink! <laughs> so I think he had to read it in college. But it's been compared to Faulkner's short story The Bear and Herman Melville's novel Moby Dick ah. in sort of a man versus nature kind of way. Yes. Yes. And I agree with you in that I do enjoy the way it's written. I mean, I feel like Hemingway, we're not going to say Hemingway's not a great writer. I think I was just a little bit um, surprised by the sad ending of it all. Well, and let's, let's let that take us into the plot of yeah. this book. Because it's, it's not a difficult plot. No. Um, it's, what, 80-something pages long? Um, um, yeah, maybe 100. Well... 120, but still. So super duper short, not a lot happens. Um, basically, we meet the man, Santiago, and he's lamenting his 84 days of, 85 days? 84, so this will, yeah, he goes out on his 85th day. Right. 84 days of no fish, and he's also really sad because the boy that he kind of apprenticed with, or was his, the boy who was his apprentice, got taken from his parents and put, or his parents took him from the old man and made him go on a luckier boat because the old man was unlucky. And um, his name's Manolin. Manolin. We love Manolin. Yeah, um, he's a good kid. Yeah, he basically tries to take care of the old man and he's always telling him, like, yeah, I want to go out fishing with you. And he helps him and buys him bait and gets him beers. And, like, it's, it's a very caring, very caring role. Um, and there's obviously, there's not a whole lot of other discussions, um during the course of this, but one of the other topics of discussion is that uh, Santiago really likes American baseball, in particular Joe DiMaggio. The great Joe DiMaggio, who has bones first. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I think that's a cute little detail in the story, is his, uh, and it, it will randomly pop up throughout the story when he has moments where he thinks about Joe DiMaggio or yeah. what Joe DiMaggio might think about what he's doing. And it just, I thought that that was a nice little touch. Yeah, would Joe DiMaggio be proud of him? Yeah. Um, and I love Santiago because he's also like, I don't, I mean, I've never had bone spurs, so I don't know what it is. Yeah. He knows that his <laughs> idol like suffers from this thing, but he doesn't know what it is. And it's really, it's really lovely. Because, I mean, right now, even though... If you, if you idolize somebody, or let's say like you and I both admire Obama. Great, we both admire Obama. Um, and if anything is up with that person, you know it from the internet, mm-hmm. you know it from their Wikipedia, and then you're like, I don't know what bone spurs are. I'm going to search bone spurs. And then you know what it is. <laughs> so the fact that Santiago is so distant from his hero, and the only way that he finds out things is by reading like day-old or two-day-old newspapers. Yep. And he knows what, like to get the baseball scores and the baseball report. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, Santiago's going out on his boat, his skiff, which is 16 feet, I think. You might, might have noticed that Lauren and I said the boat was eight, or the the fish was 18 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, this is not a great, this is not a great size yeah. comparison. And you get the sense that this is just, this is his life. Fishing is his life. This, they don't really, Hemingway doesn't really give us very many other clues about Santiago or what mm-hmm. kind of man he is or what else he's done with his life is all we know really is just that he's always been a fisherman. Yeah, and well, and also that he came from the Canary Islands in Spain. Um, this I had to dive a little bit deeper because I, when we're talking about <laughs> geography, right. I don't know a lot. Not the best on that. No. So the, the Canary Islands are south of Spain and it's an island cluster off the coast of Africa. So when he was talking about the lions oh, on the beach, yep. He's flashing back to, okay. like, when he was a young man, because I think he emigrated at, like, 22. He was, okay. So he's a, four, he's a Spanish man with blue eyes living in Cuba who is an immigrant, mm-hmm. essentially. You know, he's still in a foreign country, still in a Spanish-speaking country. But, um, yeah, he is not from there. And in his, his greatest dreams, he dreams of sleeping on the beach um, with... The lions, the African lions. Yeah. And which I think is sweet. I'm not going to lie. It took me a while to realize that he was talking about African lions, not calling sea lions lions. Oh. <laughs> I was like, is he talking about sea lions? Oh, no. That's Canary Islands are off Africa. Oh, oops. Um, but he sold all this stuff. Like, he doesn't have all the equipment he needs. Um, Very bare bones operation here. Yeah. And the boy, uh, M- M- Manolin. Yes. Keep wanting to call him Manolo, but that is shoes. Um, but yeah, Madeline keeps trying to like, give him things and help him, and you know, yeah. I'll take, cre- I'll get this for you. And the old man is just salt of the earth, solid guy who's like, I don't want to accept things. Except he, he does a little. Like he lets the boy buy him a beer. He um, lets the boy go get buy the bait fish for him after mm-hmm. some haggling. Um, so he's accepting help from somebody that he used to help. So you watch that sort of take its toll on him. And then he goes out, and he pretty much, he has, like, a bottle of water. He doesn't have any food. He brought no food. He, he and he just is out to sea by himself. Um, throwing out his lines. And eventually he feels something hook, and he realizes that it's something that's pretty deep down. Um, I don't remember the exact fathom terminology, but it's... He can tell, that is one of, I think that was one of my favorite things was like the way that he would describe, that Hemingway would describe just this, these senses that you get after doing something for so long. How this old man without being able to see anything can predict like what kind of fish this is. He predicts that it's a male because of the way that it's pulling on the line. It's, that kind of stuff was really interesting, those details. Um, And it essentially takes him three days before this fish comes up enough and is circling close enough where he feels like he can actually attack and kill it. So you can imagine that make you pretty delusional if you're just out exposed to the elements for three days straight with no food and one bottle of water. Yeah, and he, he'll catch some fish, like he catches an albacore, he catches a dolphin, and he eats that. Yeah. Um, so he's getting his sustenance, and he even talks to himself. He's like, I don't want to eat this, but I need to eat it so I can stay strong. Like, this man's life 
is not like you said is nothing but fishing. Mm-hmm. He's talking about how he would eat the turtle eggs during the winter to get strong for the really big fish, and then he would drink shark liver oil oh, and shit, yeah. um, which he doesn't really like, but he knows it makes him stronger. And I mean, they never really did they they don't ever really say his exact age, do they? I but don't I think would so. guess it's just... probably like sev- maybe even seventies, like mm-hmm. late sixties, early seventies would be my guess. Yeah, and that's all he's been doing is fishing. Yeah. Um, but I do love he takes a great amount of pride in the fact that the great Joe DiMaggio's father was a fisherman. <laughs> so anytime, like, a bit of shame, like, pops up, like, I'm only a fisherman, he's, he reminds himself that DiMaggio's father is a fisherman, and it's cool. Exactly. So it takes a lot of days of being very patient and careful because he knows he's probably only going to have one shot at killing this fish. Yeah, and he knows that if he jerks, jerks it to try to pull it up or agitate it, it'll rip the hook deeper or rip the hook wound wider and then the fish could get away. So he's basically patiently letting the ship pull or the fish pull him away from shore. Yes. Because during all of this, he's out of sight of land, and the fish isn't just sitting there waiting. The fish is on the move, mm-hmm. towing Santiago in his boat. Mm-hmm. Um, for yeah. For three days. For three days. And then it finally reaches the point where it's close enough where he feels, and then his hand. Oh yeah, and then his hand. One of his hands has massively cramped up. To the point where it's basically like a claw. Mm-hmm. And so so now his worry is, okay, the fish is close enough, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to have enough strength in my hand to harpoon this gigantic fish. Yeah, and he's also gotten, like, rope burns on his hands, and he's using his bare feet to, like, hold down rope and, like, mess with the sail. Like, he's basically using every single part of his body because he doesn't want to tie the fish to his boat because he thinks that the fish might snap the line. So he holds on to a fucking fish with his hands for that amount of time. For that amount of time. You're like, Santiago, you are tough. He is. He's t- And he also, he's, he's a good and sensitive... You can tell that he's honoring this fish, mm-hmm. too. He starts referring to it as his brother. He, um... It, he has to kind of talk himself into killing it. Uh, you know, I, I need to kill this fish because I know how many people it's going to feed. I know that I need the money. Um, so he he's very sensitive sensitive to the fact that he's going to kill this thing that has been, you know, circula- circling his boat for three days. Yeah, he recognizes it, like, as a being, a living being. Um, and that story he rem- reminisces about, about the... Um, male fish and the female fish uh-huh. when he sn- hooked the female fish and the male fish stayed with her and he was like that was the saddest thing I've ever seen yeah I don't want um, that to happen again yeah he's just very sad like he he has love and respect for these creatures um, I love when he interacts when he sees the bird mm-hmm. um, that lets him know where the fish is and then later the bird that sits on his line like mm-hmm. he's got this great like camaraderie with the birds and he talks to them and but he just eventually his hand starts to feel a little better and he realizes that it's now or never and he harpoons the fish he wants to go for the heart because he's afraid if he doesn't hit that he won't kill him kill it right away and he kills it he kills it he loves it but he kills it it. dead kills it dead um and that's where you think the story's gonna end and that's where you think okay good for you old man yeah, you. It's like perseverance. It's man versus nature, but because he's also like, he was I'm patient not, about it. Mm-hmm. He did the right thing. He's like, I can't give up. I won't give up. Would the great DiMaggio dro- give up? No, he wouldn't. <laughs> um, and then, so you, they cap off the. So we get to the end of his fight with the fish, and you're like, oh, thank God, this is going to be a good ending. 
And then we get to the sentence, which I just think is one of the, just the most infuriating fear inciting. Is this the first time you threw the book then? This is the first time I threw the book. Um, it was, he liked to look at the fish to make sure it was true. Now here's the sentence. It was an hour before the first shark hit him. And that's where you're like, you go in span of two sentences, him looking at his dream fish, because it's Hugh fucking Mungus. It's a huge fish. Like, he's going to make so much money by selling this fish. And you're like, you did it, Santiago. It was a struggle. We were there on your side with you the whole time, and you're so happy for Santiago. And then the next sentence is like, and then the fucking sharks are coming. In an hour. In an hour. And then you're like, well, there's no, there's no foreshadowing, like, well, something bad was coming. You're like, no, in an hour there's going to be a shark. And, if, and he's in the middle of the fucking ocean. Because unfortunately, oh. since he couldn't pull it in the boat, he had to strap it to the side of the boat, which means he's now creating a blood trail that is trailing behind him as he makes his attempt to get back home. Mm-hmm. And Hemingway walks us through uh, I lo- the mako shark that attacks him first, the way the shark smelled the blood from afar, from off, and the journey following it. So for a second we switch, we switch almost to the, the shark mm-hmm. becomes the point of view character, and yeah. I think that's so cool. Yeah, that was interesting. But yeah, sure enough, as he tells us, the sharks come. <laughs> and he's a badass. He kills the mako shark with his harpoon, but then the shark takes his harpoon in it, and yeah. it dies and sinks. So now he has no harpoon and no more rope either. Uh huh. Yeah, no he's harpoon. Basically, out, he's out of weapons. So he's awesome because then he's like, "I'm going to fasten my knife to the end of an oar." So he takes whatever little bit of rope he has, fastens his knife to make like a spear, and then more sharks come, and he manages to hold them off with that. But then that's gone. And then there, so yeah, shark battle. And then he gets the, the tiller off of his boat and oh, starts right. smashing, smacking sharks with his tiller, and they bite it. So he's has nothing. He's using every scrap of his boat to fight these sharks. And he wishes he had like broken off the the swordfish or the marlin's snout mm-hmm. so he could use it as a sword. I know. Oh. And meanwhile, the sharks are eating the marlin. Of course they are. Yeah. So anytime they can get a chance, well, he's in the middle of trying to fight them off. They're taking parts of the marlin with them. So, And they're coming in pairs, and he has to give his attention to one, and then the other one eats the shark. Which reminds me, when my dogs were puppies, we took them, my dogs went to my parents' house for Thanksgiving, and there was this little girl who was like five or six, and she had a plate of turkey, and my one of the dogs, these the, my two dogs like set up this con because one of the dogs would like get get in her face and be like, "Hi, I'm really cute," and then she would lower the plate to pet oh. the dog, and the other dog would eat the food, and then they would rotate, which sneaky, is sneaky, mm-hmm, which is what these sharks were doing, but much less adorably. And at one point, there was a quote that made me slightly hopeful. <laughs> Because he said, he, in his mind, was saying, um, but man is not made for defeat. A man can be destroyed, but not defeated. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, maybe he is going to come out of this. But unfortunately, he d- so he does make it home, which that's great. But the, At least he didn't die. Yeah, he didn't die. But the marlin has been basically completely gutted. Like, he comes back with, like, a skeleton and the head. <sighs> Um, and, the he, and he's so exhausted that he pretty much drops his boat off with the fish, what's remaining of the fish still attached, goes to his little hut and passes out. Um, and then Madeline goes and gets and him coffee. Oh, and the sweet boy, he's crying the whole time. Um, because they all know, like everyone in the tent, it's, it's 
probably not a very large town anyway, but everyone in the town kn- knew of his struggles. They were trying to look for him. Um, yeah, they were worried about him. They were worried about him, and so everybody, they they run down and other members of the town measure how long. That's when they discover it was 18 feet long. And so they're all they're all disappointed for him because they know how long he has struggled to catch a fish in this recent period and then for it to get destroyed by sharks sucks it's so it's so sad yeah you watch him you watch him survive this epic battle and you're like oh my god you did it you bested nature but he comes out of the fight exhausted and without many resources and then the fucking sharks come yep and you're like ah even when you do manage to scrape a victory you're tired and then it's kind of a covid metaphor Oh, you know, COVID yeah. was our was our struggle. <laughs> it was us fighting the marlin. And then we fought the marlin and we're like, okay, the restrictions are beginning to loosen up, but still sharks. Like Sh- sharks are coming in the shower. Mm-hmm. The sharks are Delta variant. The sharks are being back among people. The sharks are anavaxers. No, which then the sharks no, come. No. Tis the cycle. And uh Manolin remains ever hopeful. And uh, pretty much tells him, like, hey, I'll go fishing with you again still. Let's go. Yeah. Well, and and he misses um, the boy. Like, he, it pops up so often as he's out to sea by himself is that he wishes the boy was there. And he misses the boy. And it just breaks my heart. I know. And it ends with him falling asleep and dreaming of of lions again. Yep. Not sea lions. Actual lions. Actual lions. And uh, we all feel a little bit sad about it. Yeah. And then you throw the book. And then you throw the book again. You throw the book. Or you just take the book and get to the part where he catches the fish. And just end it there. And just rip it. Yeah, that's smart. Just end it mm-hmm. there. Once he's victorious, yeah. just stop reading. I think, yeah, it's literature. It can't make you happy. <laughs> <laughs> happy. Not with this crowd. No. Not with, not with the... Uh, yeah, James Joyce, Hemingway, Forgotten Generation are like, how can we make everybody cry? Yeah. And turn to drink. Yeah. Or acid. <laughs> and acid, yeah, exactly. Um, characters. I mean, there's not very many. There's not. Who has names? Santiago has a name. Madeline has a name. There's a guy that they reference at the end. I think, like, one of the store owners has a name. Because the man even says something about, like, oh, did so-and-so look and see oh, right. the fish? Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much it. it it's hard to award uh, sucks to your asthmar because, yeah. I mean, I guess the, the sharks get it. Fuck the, the sharks. The fucking sharks get it. The fucking sharks get it. Especially yeah. that one, that, like, fat shark at the end who, like, came in and took all the rest of the flesh. Fuck oh, that guy. Ah, fuck that guy. Yeah, that Fuck shark. that guy. That shark sucks the most. Yeah. But yeah, character-wise, there's um, there's not very many people in this book. No, but a bull... I, and I think, you know, it's called The Old Man in the Sea. I feel like if Santiago's not your favorite character, then maybe just read the beginning again and again and again. Because you you kind of love him. Oh, he's... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a guy that you, you want to sit down and have him tell you stories, for sure. Like, mm-hmm. this guy has seen a lot. Um, and has... Re- has it it's it is pretty amazing that he has managed to remain hopeful and optimistic at least to a degree even with but do you think he really is or is he just kind of like well this is my life and this is all i can do so let's go fishing again 
I mean, I think it's B, but yeah. because of that, like, he seems like a realist. Mm-hmm. Like, so he does, so I feel like because it's B, because this is my life, let's go fishing again, he's optimistic about it. Yeah. Like, what, what struck me about this is, you, I don't feel like you see guys like Santiago much anymore, who are experts in their trade. Like you were saying earlier, the fact that he can know all about this fish, the age of, or the, is it a male fish or a female fish by the way it swims? Um, he knows how deep it is. Like he's had decades upon decades of being a fisherman. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, old timey times, people are like, great, I am a blacksmith. So now I know everything there is to know because I have dedicated my life to blacksmithery. Yeah. Uh, he has dedicated his life to fishing. So he's an expert. Like, or even the birds is like, I know that this bird is going to fly this way when mm-hmm. this thing happens. Or if they see this fish in the ocean, they're going to fly over. I mean, like, yeah, just all of those little details that all you can, you can only pick those kinds of things up if you're in that environment day in and day out for your entire life. Yeah. And like people do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like people used to do that mm-hmm. more. Like I am this and therefore my life is surrounded. But now we're all sort of like, well, I'm a fisherman by day, but I really want to be a TikTok star. Nobody learns so. a trade anymore. No. Well, a lot of people also will like learn it and then be like, well, I have my degree, so I'm ready to go be an expert in the thing. Yeah. Go or um, move on to the next thing and learn the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You don't marinate in things for a while. No, like, it's, that's true. Speaking of marinade, at one point while he was eating raw dolphin, he was really sad he didn't bring any lime or salt with him. And I was like, you could be making ceviche right now, Santiago, and yeah. I wish you were, bro. Dude, all you needed was one lime and, like, a little handful of, of salt. Yeah. But then again, this is how smart he is, because he's like, I wish I'd spent the day scooping salt water onto the bow and letting it dry, because then I would have had salt. And you're like, I would not have thought of that, Santiago. <sighs> Santiago, you, you are, are so smart. You are a man of the You are the old man in the sea. Mm-hmm. The Mars. He like, yeah. I like when he curses at the sea and calls her a whore. And <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, yep. You have a deep relationship with that sea and that boy. And it's lovely. Okay. And not in a creepy way, which is good. Yeah, not in a creepy way. You know what I also loved is the fact that he could say, I love the boy. And the boy's like, I love the old man. And the boy can walk through town, tears just streaming down his face, and it's not shameful that he's weeping for the old man. No. Like, there was, these, these are, That's the old true. man is a man. Like, he's this grizzled man fucking fishing his face off, but he's not toxically masculine. No. no. He's, uh, he's masculine, but he's, he's a sensitive man of the sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Look at him out there on that. <laughs> we're doing Maine. Notice we're not trying we're to do not. Santiago because that would be inappropriate. No. Um, I don't need to start doing a Cuban accent. No. Nobody needs to hear that. <laughs> so Santiago's our general fave and the sharks can suck to their asmar. Exactly. I think sharks. that's the only way to do it. I, mm-hmm. I mean, the kid's a great character too. The boy's a great character, but Santiago really is. He deserves the reward. He deserves to be the titular character. Yes. He, titular? Titular. <laughs> titular. <laughs> wow. Wow. I can't talk. Oh, um, man. Favorite part? <sighs> I mean, I think it really was those little descriptions early on when he when he first, um, when the marlin has first hooked and he's kind of observing it and... And uh, just noting all of these little things that he can pick up on because of how intuitive he is about the sea. Yeah. Yeah. I liked when the marlin is towing him and the bird lands on his line. (laughs) And he just sort of like talks to the bird for a bit and it provides him company because he's just been talking to himself for a day. 
And he's also like, Bird, are you out here because the hawks are giving you trouble? And he's like, oh, you know nothing about the hawks, but I can't warn you. And it's just such an interesting relationship between human and animal. Oh, I did also yeah. like that with the Joe DiMaggio thing. Mm-hmm. After he kills that first shark with the harpoon, he has this moment where he's like thinking to himself... It's like, man, yeah, he's like, man, I wish I could, I wish I could let Joe DiMaggio know that I killed that shark. Right. I, think I wonder if DiMaggio would think that was cool. <laughs> like, he doesn't say it like that, of course, but you could tell he's thinking about it. Oh, my that. God. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think so, Santiago. I think he would be impressed. I think he would be impressed. Yeah. yeah. He, he likes you. He, A+. Plus. Um, but it's such a short book that it almost feels like one chapter of a larger book. Like this is this could be half of the oh part, yeah half of a, a book of Les Misérables. Oh god! Like this book is eighteen of it could fit inside Les Misérables. Yeah, exactly, and it's it's just very cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Here's the story. This is what happened. It's done. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any like fun anecdotes from discussing it in class or anything, but I just this is a this is like a quintessential language arts or English literature mm-hmm. book. I mean, even though you didn't have to read it, it just feels like, oh, oh man in the sea. Well, I think if you're at, well, if you're at all discussing, like, man versus nature, it's, this is what's going to come up. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to talk about that, you know, classic trope or whatever, that's this book. <laughs> There's no, that's what you're going to discuss. Yep. You're going to, it's this one. Um, um, but... Yeah, I mean, other than really being angry at it and throwing it across the room, I should look. I have a a folder of some of my old papers at my parents. I wonder, old man in the sea is in there. Damn it, it didn't go up to my parents. Oh, we still need a paper. We still need a paper. Um, Someone could just please provide us with an essay about the old man in the sea. We'd be eternally grateful. In this essay, I will try to prove. Um, (laughs) I have a question for you. Do you have one yet? I'm st- I'm mulling it over, but I'll ha- I'll have it. I'll have okay, it. you go first. Okay, my question for you, and then I'll answer it for me. Okay. Um, my question for you is, uh, who is your Joe DiMaggio? <laughs> when you do something that you're proud of, who do you think would they be proud of me? <laughs> um, you killed the shark. <laughs> you know, I uh, I'd probably have to go. I've been watching so much. Rewatching Parks and Rec and been watching Making It so much that I'm like, I really would like Amy Poehler to be proud of me. I feel like I would pat myself on the back if Amy Poehler ever was like, hey, Lauren, you did it. You really did it. Or if I made her laugh, oh my God. That would be like the highlight of my life. Yeah. I think I'm going to say Amy Poehler. How That's about a good... you? Uh, um, well, this is mostly because all I've listened to for the pandemic has been uh, the Broadway recording of Moulin Rouge. <laughs> and I just started watching Schmigadoon, so we all oh. know where this is going. Okay, okay. Um, but I often find myself literally wondering, I'm like, would Aaron Tveit think that was cool? <laughs> or would he think I'm a nerd? And then I'm like, I don't think I actually care. Because uh, I think I'm cool, so I think if he didn't think that was cool, I really wouldn't care that much and we wouldn't be friends. But I do wonder that at least once a week is how Aaron Tveit would think about what something that I just did. And that's ridiculous. But it's one of the things we love about you. Mm-hmm. I have a very singular mind. You've stayed true to that ever since I've known you. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. <laughs> it's what would Aaron Tveit do? What would Aaron Tveit do? What would Aaron Tveit think? You know? He'd think a, handsome thoughts. That's what he think. 
Would he be thinking handsome thoughts or frowny thoughts? He's thinking dreamy thoughts. <laughs> um, for anyone who's new to this podcast and hasn't followed my weird, grown-up, middle-aged lady <laughs> talent crush, Aaron Tveit's the handsome man on Schmigadoon, who's basically sings all the songs about wanting to be a dad. Um, it's delightful. No, Aww. it's really lovely. Um, okay, do you have a discussion? Um, I think my discussion... Let's see. I think my discussion would have to be, um, if you were out to sea for three days, what would you get so delirious that you would end up eating? <laughs> do you mean, like, what do you think I could actually catch, or what would I imagine I was eating if I were eating, uh, like, just sco- tuna scooped out of the guts of a fish? Yeah, exactly. What would it be in your, in your delusional mind? <laughs> I think that I would... <laughs> I think it would be um, gravy fries. I think that if I just scooped out fish innards and was like, (laughs) I think with both the saltiness of the blood in the seawater and the saltiness of the gravy at Steuben's where I like to get my gravy fries um, and maybe mixed with the texture, I would maybe my delirious brain would make me think I was eating gravy fries and that would be amazing. I love that. I love that. I I feel like... if all I could do was find some way to get a hold of, like, some kelp, <laughs> then maybe I could, I could try to pretend that it was some sort of salad. But then I don't, I don't like kale, though, either, so why would I want to pretend the cat kelp was kale? No, that's terrible. This is something I don't like, but I'm no magic. I get so delusional that the gross thing I'm eating is just turned into another gross thing in my head, (laughs) I guess is what we're saying. I'm so delusional. I think kale is tasty. Oh, you know what? I guess we'll just have some hot seawater and make it hot ham ham water in my head. Just put the seawater in your tin cup on the bow and let it get real hot in the sun. Be like, mmm, hot ham Mm, water. Hot ham water. You got got yourself a stew going. (laughs) You got yourself a sea stew. This point. Oh, why did we have to read this? I think you just made a really good point earlier, though. Classic tale of man versus nature. Mm hmm. Yeah. And it's short. And it's short. I feel like English literature teachers are like, all right, I'm giving these fuckers tests of the D'Urbervilles coming up, so I might as well give them Old Man in the Sea yeah. as something. This will be real digestible before we have to dive into this bullshit. <laughs> no, I, I do think it is a real concise. Tale that mm-hmm. gets a lot of um, big literary points across. So I, I, I can definitely see why this. I can see why Hemingway in general is a required reading. Yeah, I think the story was beautifully told. And it's also just a different, it's this simple style of writing. It's mm-hmm. elegant and clean. And I mean, you know, after we read Victor Hugo, who went on and on and on and uses like eight times more words than are necessary, whereas I feel like Hemingway uses three quarters of the words that are necessary and lets you fill in the blanks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, other authors, can you imagine what some other other authors would do, would turn a three-day at sea journey into? It would be like a 600-page book. Life of Pi. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this, you know, three days at sea is like... 40 pages in this book. <laughs> well, I think also you could really sum it up in, like, a page. An old man was friends with a boy. The boy's not allowed to go out with him anymore. He takes his shabby boat, catches the fish. The fish drags him for three days. He kills the fish. Everything gets eaten by sharks. He returns home. It's terrible. Like, <laughs> the end. The end. That is the gist of Old Man in the Sea. It just done gets done. But I feel like Hemingway, yeah, fleshed it out to the amount we needed. 
without being self-indulgent and yeah. making us read a book five times as long because exactly. that's how long the books are supposed to be. I know. No, he's a much more concise writer. Um, and then, you know, for our tastes, there are a lot of Simpsons references to this one. There are a lot. <sighs> uh, not only are there a couple of actual references on the show, but then there's several titles of episodes that are Old Man and the yeah. Sea related. There's the Old Man and the Lisa. Mm-hmm. Old Man and the Sea Student. And the Old oh. Man and the Key. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then there's an episode from season two where Homer and Marge go to the marriage retreat and General Thompson. Sherman. General Sherman. General Thompson. The, the giant fish. <laughs> oh, that's Mr. Thompson. Sorry. Hi, Mr. Thompson. He's talking um, to you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Homer battles a fish. Um, but then there's also just... Some pure comedy gold that I had kind of forgotten about. Oh my god! We're with Martin doing a uh, book report on Hemingway, yeah. which is totally inappropriate for his grade level. Yeah, but we're gonna <laughs> listen to that. Um, you can look up the Homer one yourself. It's very funny. But yeah, watch this, the whole episode of that one. Mm-hmm, but this snippet is a plus gold. You're killing me, fish. Never have I seen a greater or more noble thing than you, brother. Come on and kill me. I do not care who kills who. To catch a fish. To kill a bull. To make love to a woman. To live. I thank you. Oh, absolutely brilliant. There were moments I truly believed you were Hemingway. (gasps) Bravo, Martin. Oh, please, call me Papa. Yep. (laughs) Oh, Martin. Oh, Martin, you're amazing. Uh, Has there been a play? Well, as a matter of fact, there has been. Oh, boy. Um, we just did Because, some... wow, how would you stage this? I was thinking, surely there's not a play of this, because that sounds unwatchable and absolutely terrible. <laughs> but I found a play. Um, there, there's a play version that I found um, adapted by Eric Ting and Craig Siebels, which has a cast that includes Santiago, that includes Manolin, and that includes somebody with a guitar. Um, so yeah, they they. Um, <laughs> My goodness! My goodness! That looks like quite the show photo. So yeah, I was thinking this couldn't possibly be a book that anyone has adapted into a play, but I would be wrong. And um, apparently, there also have been a couple of movies. Um, the most recent adaptation was in 1990 with Anthony Quinn. And Patricia Clarkson, who would she have played? There's no woman in this book. She was the female fish. Oh, right, right, right. Right. Exactly. She's in the fish costume. He's hallucinating. And Gary Cole, who I think you all will remember as uh, the bad boss in Office Space. Bless. Yes. (laughs) I really hope that he talked like that. You know, the thing about this is, it, this is a book that is a story that succeeds because of the way Hemingway wrote it. Yeah. This is not plot-driven. No, and I mean, I know we, we've we said many times that there's a lot of books that you go, ugh, are we really going to adapt this into a movie or play? But this is one that, really, are we going to? <laughs> really? Because it's all about the internal life of Santiago. Yeah. And I also don't think I'd ever want to see a one-man show of it with, like, Santiago no. just telling about his fish story. Oh, man. There's certain pieces of literature that just should stay literature. That just need to be books. Yeah. Let's just let this be a book. Let poetry be poetry. Let the old man in the sea be the old man in the sea. Archer feels the same way, as mm-hmm. you can tell by his occasional protest barks. Yeah, Archer knows what's what. 
Um, well, what what we learn? What we learn from this experience, Lauren? I learned that you can dedicate your entire life to something and still have it disappoint you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I learned that even when you succeed, you just got to get ready to fail. Nobody gets a happy ending. And some books deserve to be thrown across the room. Yeah, even if they're well written, they they still can get thrown. So it just makes me sad. Yeah, it's kind of a drag. Oh, Santiago, we just want you to live a restful life. Yeah. Dream of lions and such. I'm hoping that the next day he wakes up and, like, goes out and catches a moderately sized fish and has a good success. Although I kind of feel like the next day he just dies. Yeah. Maybe at least Hemingway stopped the story before Santiago died. (laughs) That's the one silver lining on this book, is that at least Hemingway didn't make us suffer through Santiago dying. There's probably some people who try to interpret the ending as him, like, laying down to go to sleep, and that's that. Then he travels back to, like, the boyhood in his mind, and that's him dying. (laughs) I don't know that I'd go that far, but... No. 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 I would... No. Can we need a happy book next time? Yeah, I think we need a happy book. Are there any required books that are happy? We've. I think we've had this discussion, though, before. There aren't really. No. I'm trying to think of, like... How come everything people make us read is such a drag? Such a drag. Maybe this is why we're all such fucked up adults. We just are constantly forced to read. Mm-hmm. Really bummer of literature when we're at our formative ages. (laughs) I'm just trying to remember if we've done any happy books that aren't children's books. I mean, there's some that are kind of happy, but still sort of fucked up. Like Matilda had happy, has happy moments, but yeah, Charlotte's web has happy moments, but yeah, when a child abuse spider death, I don't. Okay. Here here dear readers like if you think of a happy required book please uh add us at req readcast on twitter and or find us on instagram and uh send us those suggestions because we would love to read someone that isn't going to make us want to jump out of a window um yeah and then until then we're, we're going to debate our next book um <laughs> and then we'll figure out what it is maybe if somebody suggests something happy we can read that because uh, we have some ideas, but honestly, they're all bummers, too. They're all bummers, so, too. Um, I need a palate cleanser. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, send us some happy ideas. We would uh, be really, really fortunate. But um, until then, uh, stay gold, half-eaten Marlin. <laughs> stay gold, bird on the wire. <laughs> stay gold, Manolin, you, you sweet, sweet boy. Stay gold, Joe DiMaggio, <laughs> in your bone spurs. <laughs> but don't stay gold, sharks. Fuck you, sharks. Yeah, stay gold, man-made spear that we cobbled together out of parts. Stay gold, Santiago. Stay gold, Santiago. And stay gold, Jessica. Stay gold, Lauren. Thank you for listening to Required Readcast. If you enjoyed the show, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a rating and or review. We're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at REQ Readcast. Required Readcast is produced by Sexpot Comedy. Theme music and lyrics by Max McEwen and Noah Evan Wilson. Vocals by Aaron C. Willis. Stay Stay gold, gold, bookworms. bookworms!